Blessed Advent friends, and welcome to this week's edition of In-Depth with Beth and Seth, the podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I'm your Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater. And we are here today talking with my colleague and friend Beth Hoffman-Faith about some words that you spoke yesterday. How are you today, Beth? Well, I am very glad to be with you, Seth, at least virtually, that is. And I'm always happy to talk about what we heard the day before. Sometimes <laughs> we have to talk about the very words I said. So, and hello, did, did you listen to yourself yesterday? Did you pay attention? Um, yes. Oh, good. <laughs> did good. I listen to myself? I had to do it twice, so that was enough. And I lived with it for several days before that. So, indeed. So we are in the second Sunday of Advent, and this is December 5th, 2021, and you preached a sermon called To Determine What is Best, and it is from Philippians 1, 3 through 11. To begin with, I want to I ask you a question about sort of laying some context for us. Mm-hmm. You, at the beginning of the sermon, talk about the Revised Common Lectionary. What is that? Well, I did that. Because, first of all, we were moving out of our Command to Preach series, and people have heard a lot about that. It was great. It was a good challenge. It was great fun. We're going to come back to it in February. I really want people to know that we don't, we often don't randomly choose scripture. Oh, uh, yeah. That we follow a schedule that shapes where our messages come from. The Revised Common Lectionary is a schedule of readings over a three year cycle. That in theory, if you read each of the four readings every Sunday for three years, you would have heard a great portion of the Bible. If not almost the entire thing, they just leave out some of the some of the parts that people kind of refuse to preach on. I think that (laughs) that the sacrifice of Isaac, for example, is not included. Oh, I think it is. Oh, is it? I think then I'm wrong. Then maybe it might be the entire. Bible, just not the Apocrypha. Well, actually, sometimes the Apocrypha is included and in the in the first lesson, Seth. Um, here I am wrong again. <laughs> Teach me, Beth. What do you know? Well, I, what I know is that it is something that connects many churches. So it's not just congregationalists that follow the lectionary or the Lutherans or the Presbyterians. This is something that's accessible to all churches, even the, our Catholic brothers and sisters follow a version of the same lectionary. It's not always exactly the same, but it's pretty close. And it was, you know, a bunch of scholars got together and decided there was a way to kind of try to unify the different denominations and to help preachers and parishioners move through the scriptures. So they developed this three-year cycle. It's it's taken a couple of different revisions, but the one we use now is actually was actually developed in the 80s. So mm. it's been around for a few decades. And there are other lectionaries too, right? This is not the only option. Correct. There are other lectionaries. The other lectionary that I know most about is called the narrative lectionary. Right. That's actually a four-year cycle of readings and it develops more of a narrative arc. Like it begins in the fall with uh, kind of the Hebrew Testament and it moves you through to the gospel of the year and then spends time in Acts, kind of following a little bit, following more of the seasons of the year. I think that the Revised Common Lectionary is an extremely helpful tool for, for preachers because it doesn't just leave you to your own devices. 
like here, I'm going to pick out this section of scripture because I like it or because right. it fits what I want to say. I mean, it is a challenging, it's, it's a bit of a challenge because sometimes you're going to get texts that either you really don't want to preach on or that you're not quite sure how they fit the scripture or the season or the day. It's a good discipline. Uh, There's and, a certain amount of responsiveness that comes to it, that here's this thing, and what are you going to do with it? Right. And if you were to read all four readings every Sunday, and we don't, you would see that they follow you know, a book through its completion. Each year, there is a different gospel that is followed. So the hearers, the listeners, the studiers of the Revised Common Lectionary would dive deeper into one gospel rather than hearing from a collective of gospels throughout the year. And I think that can be helpful. The reason I talked about it yesterday is because I know that we have preached from the common lectionary many times in my tenure at Plymouth. And before that, I'm never quite sure how much Plymouth members are aware of the behind the scenes work, um, putting together worship and crafting a a scripture or or a sermon series. And so I just wanted, I just needed to root that a little bit. Well, and, and I guess I also had right to give, now, I was just going to say, I also needed to give a little bit of justification for why I was preaching from what I was preaching. If I had just read the Philippians text, I think some people would have gone like, how does that relate to Advent or where, what, where did she get that from? Sure. So I wanted to give it some context too. Well, and the listeners of this podcast get even more information, right? Yes. Like that, that context, that explanation of how we get to where we get is, mm-hmm. is here. So right. all this church has to do is everybody listens to this. It's that easy. <laughs> Where all things are revealed on <laughs> uh-huh. the podcast. That's right. The secrets are named. <laughs> so the other thing that, and going off what you just said, is this is not a very Adventy. Uh, traditionally, doesn't feel very Christmassy. It doesn't feel seasonal, as as we like to say. It's a letter from Paul to the Philippians, or maybe Paul, maybe not Paul. Maybe more than one letter. Yeah, what what did you learn about this letter to the Philippians in your in your work? Well, some of which you, you named. Paul's authorship. We attribute a lot of the epistles to this person we call Paul. Who, An epistle you know. is a letter, mm-hmm. right? And they're found, you know, following the Gospels in the Newer Testament. And there's just lots of speculation about what people have historically attributed to the writings of Paul may may not be. Paul had colleagues. And um, companions, and some of them may have have written um, these letters, letters to communities that Paul supposedly visited and had relationship with, churches and congregations that were trying to find their way in the first century, following the time that Jesus lived. Yeah. And so, what what I do know about the Philippian church is that Paul had visited them more than once had a relationship with them. And that to me really is apparent in the way that this letter is written. I also can identify if you were to read all of Philippians, you would see kind of where it doesn't feel as coherently like, well, maybe that was redacted or Mm. edited or added in. A little jumpy. Yeah. So, you know, whether it was several letters combined as one in the, you know, in the canon of scriptures or whether it was written by more than one person, it, that certainly matters. But what we have are the words on the page yeah. to try to make sense with and to try to make meaning while understanding why they were written and, and to whom they were written. And so you, you, got, you chose this from your list in the, in the lectionary. 
Um, you could have preached on John the Baptist, but you I did that have. last year. And so if anybody wants to hear that sermon, it is on our website. And if you can't find it, Beth will preach it to you over the phone. That's <laughs> yes, a promise. <laughs> <laughs> Just call her up and sit down for 20 <laughs> minutes and you'll get the whole thing. <laughs> um, but I, I would like to point out to you, Beth Hoffman Faith, that in this season of Advent, every Sunday has a theme. And this, the second Sunday's theme is peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You did not use the word peace one time. <laughs> the, pe- the word peace was not present in your sermon at all. Explain yourself, Reverend. Okay. Well, I did confess that to you when I showed up at church <laughs> on Sunday. And I also apologized to you because I kind of usurped the word love, which happens to be the week you preach in a couple of weeks, uh, the theme of love. And there's only a little bit to say on love. So you took it all. Right. Exactly. And I, I really appreciated the fact that our call to worship uh, talked about peace and we light the candle of peace. And honestly, as the sermon was coming to life, I just didn't see how I could slide that in. It didn't feel authentic in what I was writing. Um, and it wasn't that I was avoiding it because certainly I was thinking about it, but but what came to life was more a focus on love. And, you know, so I'm sorry, I guess, that I didn't talk more about peace. Um, peace is a hard topic right now, and maybe people would have appreciated a, a little bit of illumination on peace. And yet, again, my writing took me down a different road. And I was really thoughtful about our theme. Our theme for Advent is illumination, colon, an Advent journey of discovery. There you go, and so you I was really kind of ruminating on on that in terms of this little scripture from Philippians. Like we talked about before, you responded to it. And the scripture has the sentence, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best. Yeah. That, and to me, that, that was the hook. And I named yeah. that. I mean, as I was really trying to figure out the, a direction to go and, and which of the scriptures spoke to me, I kept coming back to that phrase to determine what is best. I mean, the title of the sermon is taken right out of the scripture passage because it seems to fit. We're, we're all trying to figure out what is best right now. I mean, I think we, we are people who do that all the time, but there are layers now that make that discernment process complicated and uncertain. You know, we're living in this liminal time. We still have so many restrictions around pandemic and fears about getting sick. We are called to this hard, deep, transformative work of racial equity and racial reckoning. And are we really determining what is best or are we making decisions on our own, like because they're good for us? How do we get to that place? How do we determine what is best? That is the question that just lived um, inside me this week. Well, and, and you, you bring up even the word determine. In English, to determine, as you named, is seemingly it feels like there is two options. There's the right answer and the wrong answer. And we must determine which is best. But as you discovered, the verb in Greek determine is more of a dynamic process, you, you say, that involves examination, testing, and discernment. So it's built into the word and language, how our languages work often inform the way we think. When our languages are this or that, or either or, or binary, we often begin to think and act in mm-hmm. this or that binary ways. But if you have a word that, as in the Greek, that is more open, more transformative, more 
dynamic. I love, I like that word you used. Then that is how you act. Mm. That is the words can, can determine the way that you are in the world as linguists teach us. And that was a really helpful thing for me to hear that to determine what's best is not we can get paralyzed in the this or that of that of mm-hmm. that question. Something that I've been thinking about, and maybe I've mentioned in our conversations before, is that it is really often easy to determine what the wrong answer is, mm. like that end of the spectrum, so to speak. It's sort of easy to name those things. It is wrong to do those. But what is best is really hard. Yes, because best and right aren't mutually exclusive. Oh, yeah. Right? So to determine what is best has to come from some place of discernment, which is why I was very, I mean, to me, the point I wanted to drive home to people is that it has to come to me. It has to come from a place of love. That's what Paul says in scripture. That's what we, we hear often. You know, I lifted up Duane's messages to us always rooted in this transformative nature of love. Well, have we really talked at Plymouth or in any group about how we make a decision that's bred from love. I mean, we talk about the purposes of the church and the um, kind of best practices and ways to, to do things. But if we're making a decision about something, where is love showing up in that? That's what I want people to really think about. And this doesn't have to be in a group process anyway. I've been thinking about this all week in terms of decisions that are being made currently in my home and in my life. How are these decisions birthed from a place of love? Where where is love present in the discernment? And if we can't name it, then perhaps we need to rethink our outcome. If I could repeat what you just said back to you again, in your own words from your sermon, you say, and so I ask every board, committee, group, gathering, when in the process of making a decision, how is love lighting the way? The next time you are in any kind of discernment, ask yourself or the group with whom you are working, how is love showing up right now? How is love leading this decision? How is love present in this process towards determining what is best? And if you cannot name it, I would encourage you to rethink your decision. Strong, excellent, necessary. We need to be reminded of that because then otherwise we are our own highest authority, right? Mm. Right. And there's such danger when I am my own highest authority or this group is its own highest authority. If there's not love or the teachings of Jesus or God or any of these other things that we are hard that make our discernment harder, if those aren't present, then what I want is the final answer. Mm. And it might not be love. It might just be love of my wants. Well, right. And in group process or at churches or any organization, so many decisions are based on, do we have the money to do this? What does our budget say? Who will be mad? Who's going to leave? Who's threatening us about this right now? What have we always done before? Yeah. Uh, So what if we just reframed that and really centered ourselves in a place of love? I just, I I think there is potential in the reshaping of the discernment process that could lead to some really extraordinary outcomes. Those of you who are listening, if you are currently involved in any sort of decision-making at Plymouth, please hear these words and please involve them. And if you are not yet involved in decision-making processes at Plymouth, remember this from when you are involved, Mm -hmm. because this is important. This is a really important call to action for us 
for now and, and going forward. Thank you for that. May it be so. May it be so. Thank you. Thank you, Beth, for <laughs> preaching a sermon worth talking about. Thank you all for listening. May your Advent be full of peace. Mm. Since I didn't love. talk about it on Sunday. <laughs> exactly. So make up for Beth's <laughs> make up for Beth's miss uh, in action by finding peace in in sitting with the questions. Mm. Be well all. <laughs>